0: Mike Walsh and you're listening to Between Worlds you know I've always been fascinated coming to Japan by just the sheer obsession that uh, the Japanese have with technology They, they really you know they really truly love almost every aspect of technology from robots to rice cookers. Where does that that come from? Mm, I
1: think that there's a long history of Japan and technology and Japan seeing positive elements of the future in that technology. Just think of Astro Boy as, (laughs) as
0: the beginning of that. Well, actually, someone was telling me in a conversation today that even going back to the Edo period, they were creating their own automatons. Uh, So it may go even further back than AstroPilot. It it may well. I'm actually in the back of a taxi in Tokyo today uh, sitting with Tim Denley, who's the partner in charge of innovation and uh, digital solutions at KPMG Japan. Uh, We're off on our way to go see Rakuten. That's right. Uh, which is, of course, one of Japan's uh, is Japan's leading e-commerce business. And there's a guy on a there's a very kind of a surfer-looking Japanese guy on a giant Harley next to us. Yeah. It's actually really impressive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a, it, it, it's a it's a they really are the most sophisticated consumer culture in the world. And you can see, even when it comes to. Uh, motorbikes they fully embrace the lifestyle it's a very nice Indian that we're riding past right now (laughs) (laughs) Uh, in many ways do you you think that uh, Japanese traditional companies are going to be the canary in the coal mine uh, when it comes to automation Uh, because uh, this is some of the most traditional management and organizational models in the world which are on a collision course with new forms of technology absolutely
1: they're also on a collision course with the, the real reality that a declining population will fundamentally change right. the face of, of a workforce
0: in Japan The impact of uh, the aging population will be felt here first before anywhere else Absolutely it will,
1: yeah and and I think that that combined with this incredible desire to build technology into everything that they do, will as you say become the, the, the forefront of automation and we're seeing that in our business if I look at the way that Our robotic process automation team has has gained incredible foothold in the marketplace over the past three years Uh, and it's very simple very tangible we can automate that macro process for you yeah and it's those things
0: becoming layered and layered and layered there is sort of a natural uh, affinity with robotic process automation in Japan because There's been a long history of automation in in the manufacturing process. Absolutely. And and I think that what what we're seeing now is that Japanese
1: organizations have recognized that the same processes that they've perfected, so to speak, in manufacturing can now be played out in financial services or in any other kind of business that that we're starting to see. And that that is where these incredible changes are starting to come in the marketplace. What's interesting to me, though, is that i don't think we've seen organizations in japan
0: really grasp where that goes right well well, i was gonna you know even just thinking back when they started bringing in you've been here for 17 years so you've seen a few waves of this when they started bringing increased levels of automation and robotics into production how did that impact their existing workforce Mm. like like what was the uh how did they reintegrate or retrain people in, in that new context well and and we, we we saw this in one of our meetings this week
1: with with this this image of the japanese workers in a manufacturing plant sweating over the the kanban board of of where they need to be to produce this particular product in the next you know the next production cycle with the, with the tokyo the, with a toyota production system that's yeah. that's right yeah. and and the reality is that even though it's, it's heavy amounts of automation the human in the loop is still incredibly powerful
0: in any of these Japanese systems. Right. So they, they didn't fire people from these jobs. They, they essentially retasked them that's right. to, to look at how to use the machines more effectively. That's right. right. That's right. Do you think it's going to be similar this time around with the automation of white-collar work? Or do you think they, they Japanese companies will really struggle with this?
1: I think that conceptually that's the only way Japanese companies can... can, can Wrap their minds around what this might look like. Right, it is to figure out how to repurpose the people that they have. And if you think about the idea of lifetime employment, that's where it comes from. Right, the the idea that I can retrain and 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 find new value out of my workforce over the entire life cycle of their career. career. Theoretically, Japanese organisations should be better equipped to be able to do this than any other organisation in the world.
0: We, we, we were talking about this on, uh, we we're just going through this highway now, but you were saying that you often see these people who are doing manual traffic checks. That's right. Um, they actually have automated systems to measure in real time how much traffic is passing on every street, but you still have human beings checking the computers. That's right. It's an audit process. Right. Yeah. So do you think you'll see something potentially something similar with these uh, robotic processes that you essentially have humans checking the robots? Yeah.
1: It's certainly for the near for the near future. Right. And, and, and until there becomes a, a genuine baseline trust which I think will
0: take a long time when we get through that are there any hints about what the humans might do in a 21st century automated Japanese enterprise I think
1: you'll always have humans making decisions really but
0: the decisions
1: will be different decisions that they make today, right. because the decisions that Japanese organizations make today are, are group decisions, so they're decisions made by consensus, and, and that will need to continue to be the way I think for many Japanese organizations, they will need a large number of people to be the check and balance of the system and make the, the final decisions on systematic choices. Uh, because it will be very hard to move away from that, that level of, of team discipline and team
0: decision-making. But making how do you automate decision-making if you're relying on consensus, human-based models?
1: Well, and, and that's the dilemma, Right. is, is <laughs> that how do you actually pull away from this idea of consensus-based decision-making and move to a more probabilistic way of making decisions? That that's probably the biggest challenge that I think most Japanese executives will face in the next five to ten years, is being able to make decisions on a level of uncertainty,
0: rather the deterministic model. That's right. Talk a bit about pro- probabilistic decision making. What what does that mean for you, and, and I guess how is it applied to you know to J- Japanese enterprises? So so I think that the. The reality under the covers
1: is that, that likely Japanese organisations have have always been working on probabilistic decision making, where they're they're making the right, the most effective decision with the information that they've got on hand at this point in time. Right. Uh, so so it is based on a on a factor of uncertainty. Um, sort of like, it's, like ba- it's Bayesian theory, really. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, and, and I think that that's bringing the, the the technology will bring that to the forefront of the discussion because it will be quantifiable at that point yeah which today it's not today it's we have 15 people in the room who are the the butch or the, the 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 division managers of of the of the company and collectively we believe that this is the right decision to make uh, but when you then can put real tangible measures on Based on the data at hand and the algorithms of each of our different systems, we believe that there is a ninety-five percent probability that it is the correct decision to make, uh, and that five percent of uncertainty is now a real. It's the elephant in the room is now real. Right. That will be very different for Japanese organizations.
0: How do generally these consensus meetings run? Do they? Does everyone talk about the the different pros or cons, and then the most senior person in the room? Provides, it leads the ascent process uh, how how generally is consensus manufactured
1: so so there's a word for this in Japanese it's called nemawashi. Oh. Uh and Nemoashi essentially represents the idea of of going at a problem from the roots and going across, around all of the roots and, and making sure that you've got everything uh, sorted and, and you know sometimes this is different
0: like, to f- first causes though isn't it uh, yeah. this is very different yeah right
1: so so my, often I have my colleagues tell me that I'm, I'm the master of Noashi, which is quite strange for a foreigner. Um, but, but it is an important process, and, and essentially this is the, the driver of this Japanese consensus making. So yeah, I'll give a, a tangible example of, of, of some of the things that I have to do in my, in my role, uh, engaging with our, our senior tax partners and our senior FAS and deal advisory partners, our senior consulting partners and our senior adv- uh, audit partners to come to a consensus on how we're going to invest in digital innovation within the firm in Japan. And typically that process is a factor of me working with some people to come up with some initial ideas and some initial findings of what we want to do and a hypothesis of where we want to take that, then meeting individually with each of the members of that decision-making body right. and gaining that consensus on a backroom, individual basis. right. To the point where, when I take that into the the Japan Management Committee, it's almost a rubber stamp moment. But it is at that point heavily endorsed by our senior executives. This is pure politics. I Absolutely. It is. So, I
0: mean, meetings. <laughs> it's very rude to actually make a decision in a meeting that hasn't you haven't pre got pre approval for. That's right.
1: Mm. That's right. And, and that's the fundamental Japanese consensus building
0: process. Mm. It. it, it it will probably the most challenging part of that then is not so much the the giving up of the decision making, but the giving up of the idea that um, consent is essentially manufactured by people who've had to earn it through many years of experience and seniority.
1: That's right. That's right. And this is when I, when I talk to, to our clients, one of the biggest changes that I see in how we interact with with our people and our and our human resource is this idea that we need to shift our mindset from high performers to high potentials because the the future will not be based on the high performers you will also need to nurture and rear
0: your high potential individuals and grow them quickly through your organization to build that agility there's there's a lot of lessons here for you know uh, companies in the west as well because uh, although they often pride themselves on being agile and being more responsive to bring up the next generation they struggle with the same issues of seniority and consent and mm. politics as any other organization um, and uh, when you think about what an algorithmic company has to be and how you have to speed up the decision-making processes i think it's going to be hard for everybody absolutely absolutely and i think that the
1: the things that we'll learn from the intense amount of Efficiency that Japanese companies tend to put in anything that they do. Right. Those will become powerful lessons for the rest of the world in exactly the same way that the Kaizen process has been for manufacturing.
0: Yeah. So, 21st century Kaizen uh, is will really be focused on digital process redesign rather than uh, just squeezing out efficiencies from analog processes. And and then how do you layer into that
1: the people element and. The cultural elements and and the governance and finance controls and all of those good things that go, that need to go along to make it actually work. The,
0: the only piece that I think will be difficult um, is that you know real uh, real breakthrough thinking comes from not focusing on efficiency but looking at radically different ways of doing things.
1: Uh, and that's probably the one thing that's fundamentally lacking in Japan right now. Right, it is the the, the charismatic crazy thinkers that japan was known for in the 60s and and the
0: 50s and 60s and 70s professor nakamatsu yeah that's right <laughs> the soichiro hondas of the world yeah. well this this is this is fascinating isn't it because people often make the distinction between these um uh f- founder controlled uh owner owner type thinking organizations where you have a visionary leader and founder and CEO uh, like uh, Masayoshi son that's right more um, the, the you know the f- former CEO of Sony they they have a very different cultural texture to the more traditional salaryman right. organisations.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I, I think that's that's the big juxtaposition that you can see in the landscape of Japan right now. This this fundamental difference between the the owner kigyo, the, the owner business, and the salaryman kigyo, the the salaryman business. And and until the salaryman business can figure out how to effectively leverage depth of assets that they have in providing new vision and agility from a, almost from a grassroots business perspective, they need to, to embed that into their business and embed that into their target model, their operating
0: model itself, uh, that will be the inflection point. Japan has one of the world's most sophisticated consumer cultures. And uh, I used to come here years ago and I always felt like I was visiting the future, uh, although as I said to you before, it feels like a future on a different timeline, you know, like you've, right. you've slipped a into parallel a parallel universe. It's a parallel universe. Uh, and, and, and strangely enough, you know, a lot of ideas that become uh, viral elsewhere in the world often have been incubated here, if not necessarily commercialized by Japanese mm-hmm. companies. I think that's true. Uh, why is that? Like, what what is so unique about the consumers here that make them so... Predictive, or at least uh, primordial soup for for coming up with new ways of interacting. So it's. I think that
1: isolation is is a big piece of that. So the the Galapagos syndrome, right, which absolutely is, and, and even now we still use the word to to represent the the, the cell phone market. That people are starting to go back Galapagos to the Galapagos, Galapagos Ketai, Ketai right, yeah. the Galake, um, which is what's interesting to me is that that from a at some level of the psyche they understand this and they recognize this and almost revel in it right that, that because they are this microchasm of, of experimentation um, but they are also quite different and quite unique and you can see those changes those differences even in as close a culture as like Korea or, or China the, the, there's such fundamental differences in, in culture and, and you know I often run into this situation with people new to Asia or new to Japan and, and, oh you know Japan and Korea and China they can't be that different but we know from experience
0: that they are fundamentally different in massive and significant ways the the is the isolation it, it, it doesn't really explain uh, the full entirety of this I mean there's, there's also an element to which is this is one of the world's most urban dense populations with a incredible love of technology that that's right uh and and, and a sort of an obsession with detail as well
1: i mean we we're still from the beginning we've been driving in amongst these tall buildings and we're still <laughs> driving in amongst tall buildings uh it's, it is this this incredible urban population where everyone's very closely closely knit together and the, the technology is embedded so deeply into the, the culture and into the the day-to-day life of people that it, it's almost forgotten almost it, it's become such an ingrained part of what Japan is that i i don't think there's a there's a way to conceptualize what it would be without that right. technology and even even the older generation embraces it right? absolutely right. and 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 it's often embraced in in unique and unique and interesting ways but you know years ago I did a project with uh, a company building uh, supermarket shopping service an e-commerce supermarket shopping service that was designed to be run on TVs so you know if I'm if I'm a seven-year-old you know uh, widower the only thing I have in my home is a TV so I'm going to put a dongle in the back of your TV and you can now do your shopping on your TV and the, inter- the interface design was how do we make a simple interface design that will work for elderly people it's got to have big pictures it's got to have big fonts
0: it's got to have simple words it, it was cool the, the, the elderly are a big driver of innovation here in Japan and uh, someone was telling me that even the robotics industry a, a lot of it is driven by the, the concern that there won't be enough people to care for the older generation that's right that's and, right. Well, and, 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 and heaven forbid we would have
1: to bring people from outside of Japan to do that for yes. us. Um, but, but yeah, absolutely, there's a, there's a strong driver there for, for that type of robotic. Um, and you know, what's interesting to me about robotics in Japan is that Japan is absolutely at the forefront of robotics. So the, the machines that can automate a process where it comes to picking someone up, moving someone around, doing these things. Um, what's missing in Japan is the intelligence that makes those systems work. Japan is significantly behind on artificial intelligence and the other components necessary to actually make those robotic systems work effectively.
0: Really? Yeah. So, so they're very good at the robot, they're just not so good at the uh, operating That's uh, right. mechanisms. That's right. right. Why is that? You know, it's, is, it, is it is it about scale and data?
1: I think I think it's definitely got a lot to do with data, uh, and I think that it's it's got a lot to do with the fact that AI is fundamentally based on this idea of experimentation and probabilistic systems and probabilistic right? systems, right? It's statistics it's, rather than programming. That's right, okay. and and, that, and that's somewhat foreign almost to to, to many Japanese uh, organizations. Uh, I think there's also an academic element to it. That that certainly, and that's not to say that there isn't a lot of academia talking about AI and building systems, but um, absolutely there is. There is less of that
0: type of research than we would see in the United States, for example. Right, and this is on you because uh, even during the internet boom, there there was some. Observations that the the Japanese are very good at building hardware, but the software yeah they they also struggle with and and creating an app driven culture. That's right. That's right. When when you think a a little bit further out about you you know what this what Japan might look like in in, twenty twenty and twenty thirty beyond, you've got some organisations like SoftBank that are developing a very specific vision for life in these these Mm. eras, and it's driving their hundred billion dollar investment fund. Uh, what, what's your take on all that?
1: So, so I think that, that there's a couple of really interesting phenomena about Japanese organizations. Uh, one is that they're extremely flush with cash. So <laughs> Japanese companies have incredible cash From, from, assets. from frugality? Uh, I think it's, it's a mixture of frugality and uh, you know, think about the national debt of Japan. right? Japan has potentially one of the highest national debts, but it's owned by themselves which is fundamentally different than the, than the national debt we see elsewhere in the world. Right. Uh, and, and I think that plays into the corporate financial culture as well. So what that means is that Japanese companies have the ability to invest. And we're seeing that. They are investing around the world. And you know, companies like SoftBank uh, are making really interesting decisions in investments around the world. Yeah. Uh, the, the second thing that I think is going to play into that really interestingly is the idea that Japanese... Overseas investment is often hands off. So if you look at look at the way that SoftBank has dealt with Sprint, you know, Sprint's not SoftBank Mobile in America. It's still Sprint. Uh, and there, and there, while there is some integration and there's some some great components that come out of that, the the intention is not for them to absorb all of these businesses into themselves. Uh, and I think this stems from this idea that. You know, talk to any large Japanese multinational company and they will always talk about Japan and the rest of the world right as, as if they were entirely different
0: companies and this doesn't necessarily stem from a desire to provide autonomy it probably comes from a belief that it's impossible to actually combine those two I things. think that might be true yeah 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 because you know even Western concepts if they come to Japan have to be filtered through a kind of a cultural airlock first yeah yeah that's right and, and, and you know we're
1: seeing that begin to erode slightly hmm. um, you know the,
0: the iPhone's a good example of that yeah. uh, and, yeah. and I remember back in 2007 uh, when I was over here that p- people were saying that the iPhone won't succeed in Japan that's right. It's, it's just not the, the mobile culture
1: yeah. and I still have because I lined up for an iPhone the first day it was released here yeah. and I still have the brochure from, from SoftBank from that day, and it looks like an iPhone brochure from anywhere else in the world. And now, if you go into a cell phone store, they all look like that one did. Right, right.
0: So why were they wrong?
1: So I think consumers were the, the biggest factor. Yeah. I think that many Japanese organizations grossly underestimate Japanese consumers and Japanese consumers' propensity for change and to absorb and, and find new ways to do things differently. Hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, oftentimes you'll hear Japanese people say that the, the greatest innovations in Japan actually don't start in Japan. They're only perfected in Japan. So Toyota didn't invent the production line, but they absolutely
0: did perfect it. It'll be uh, it'll be interesting if you know, the algorithmic organization is not invented in Japan, but the Japanese find a way of perfecting the that's right. You know, the balance between humans and machines and in this new enterprise. That's right. Yeah. And and it may it may actually take a you know, a certain residual belief in full time employment to find the solution. I, I think American companies may be all too quick to simply eliminate people. That's right.
1: Yeah. That will not happen in Japan.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and probably where it does happen is a recipe for revolution. Mm. Yeah. Yes. No, it's, um, uh, I guess when you, when you look at the kind of the, um, the marketplace here is, uh, it, it, it's full of contradictions, but there is a strong desire to prefer, preserve the dignity of, of work and, and, and human life. That's right. Yeah.
1: And, and and i think that's one of the reasons that i've stayed in japan for so long is that i have a great deal of respect for those elements of japanese culture
0: well, where where does the the, f- uh, the full-time work value stem from i, I think that does it come from f- like family relationships
1: i think it i mean it also comes from this this great amount of of self-respect which the flip side of that is is the the shame so you know if if you have this self-respect for yourself then when you make a mistake there's an intense amount of shame that goes along with that Uh, i think there's also a really strong sense of community in japan and surely that's something that's grown over you know hundreds and thousands of years of, of cultural development in japan i think it's also part of that isolationist culture almost that that there's there's this evolution of of the sense of community and, and, and therefore the, the drive to work hard and do things right, uh, and do things well, uh, and you see this in uh, the the shokuninwaza, so the, the craftsmanship uh, of Japan. You see that in swords. You see that in food. Yeah, you know, Tokyo has more Michelin starred restaurants than Paris does, uh, and because it's because of this craftsmanship, this incredible attention to detail and, and doing things right and doing things well that that I think comes out in any element of Japanese culture
0: but even the government believes you know with its workplace reforms it's something now needs to change yeah what is really driving that is it the push towards
1: flexibility i think that again it's being driven by demographics it's this recognition that a declining population changes some of the parameters of the equation hmm. and and it requires things to be done differently
0: yeah. Do you think what will end up happening is, is that the older generations will stay and work longer or it's really going to be the young people that remain plus higher levels of productivity through automation? I think that it's a combination
1: of those things. So, right. so we'll absolutely see uh, an extension of the retirement age uh, and I'm sure that we'll see people working for longer, uh, but I think at the same time we'll see more efficiencies and greater efficiencies and I hope that we see a greater stretching of the younger generations to be more successful
0: yeah it's always been difficult for the young people joining these organizations because the the, the senior people with power not only live particularly long here they've been holding on right. to their influence and money absolutely yeah mm-hmm.
1: yeah and I, and I don't see that that's going to change quickly but but I think that that will be one of the key drivers of,
0: of how those changes affect Japan well we're almost at our meeting So, uh, it's been great talking. Uh, Thanks for being on the show, Tim. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash betweenworlds.